your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that would like to speculate in advance that Gislin Maxwell did not commit suicide Brought to you by Stockton High Street. It's wider than yours. It's wider than yours. Stockton High Street. It's wider than yours. It's wider than yours. (laughs) (laughs) Stockton uh, started playing football again yet? Uh, They're a quite good team, actually. I mean, for for, for a team outside of the Football League. Um, Went to Wembley a few years ago. Yeah. But uh, no, I don't think they'll be playing at the moment, no. No. Not big enough. Not Sad worth times. UTA. In fact, I think they were actually... Um, I don't know exactly what the story is, but um, due to the decision to suspend the league, Stockton have actually been robbed of a promotion, from what I understand. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know this, actually. Yeah. Um, we'll have to look into that and get back to the listeners, because obviously they're all keen to hear about Stockton Town. But... I think we should probably update them more about Stockton Town's footballing. We Either success or failure. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, right, well, hello everyone. We're here for um, episode 155. Lovely round. Well, it ends in two, so two of the same numbers. Can't wait till we get to 555. Shit. And we're nearly dead. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I've had enough of it, to be honest. Not this, the world. Um, so I'm here with, as usual, for the last few weeks in lockdown, or it's been more than a few weeks now, months, I think, <laughs> last few months, uh, I'm here with our just general expert, Michael Johnson. What up? And also general expert, Alex Wayne. Hi there. Um, we've got, we're mixing it up this week, we've got something uh, coming in a, in a genre, genre format that I don't think we've talked about for a while, so that's good. Um, from Mr. Alex Wayne. I'll say no more. Um, how have we all been doing? How's week 12? I don't know. Uh, it it's been good. I've been um, mainly engaging with what I'm going to talk about um, all week. Um, yeah, it's been pretty good. I've, I've been to socially distanced drinks with people. Um, yeah, it's been all, overall for a lockdown week. It's been pretty good. Okay, cool. Yeah, Michael. Feels, well, it feels less like lockdown to me than ever because I'm I, I'm in the office. There's other people there, uh, far less than usual. It must be said, but it's still it gives more structure to my day uh, and f- feels a lot better to me. And then obviously I've also been to some uh, some social distance drinks, as Alex mentioned. So so shades of normality in an otherwise still very bizarre situation. Yeah. Okay. Good to hear. I've not gone for any social. Well, I've been in someone's garden. Um, haven't been to any pubs yet. But how? Oh, that's exactly um, what we've done. We haven't been to. We oh, you been, been to pubs yet? Just gardens. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Just garden. But yeah, been been doing a bit of that, which feels a bit more normal. Haven't. I don't think I'm going to be going back to the office for like three years. So until we got this vaccine, because we just literally don't have to go, which is quite annoying. Because I quite would like to go back, and the problem is, like, our office is so massive, it would be really easy to socially distance. Like, I feel like we're just we just naturally socially distance anyway, because the desks are at least two meters apart. They're like fucking huge, and the office is just massive, and <laughs> it's not that full that you're ever like ramming into people. So, 
But um, yeah, we'll see. Like you say, Michael, I'm sort of a, a bit of normality on that front. It would be nice to just go somewhere and then come back from somewhere yeah, on a daily it, basis. Yeah, it does make a huge yeah. difference. <laughs> and it sort of draws that line between work and home that you don't have when they merge together. Um, yeah, exactly. And yeah, the, well, I have absolutely no interest in working from home. I know a lot of people do. Um, so the good thing for me is the company wants us there and is working steadily towards doing doing that. Wants us in the office, I mean. Um, so yeah. I don't know how long it'll take until we're able to to get everyone in there. But in a few weeks, about a third of staff are going to be back there. I imagine it'll still be a while before they can have maximum capacity, but it's a big jump. So yeah. Now I don't mind. I quite like working from home, like once or twice a week, but all week doesn't matter. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I like having the flexibility of choosing. I can pretty much just go. Now I'm working from home today. It's quite nice yeah, to have that choice. Yeah, of, like you go out late the night before or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but but I, yeah, you don't want to do it all the time. Well, I'm in a situation where I'm still furloughed, so um, I'm not really doing anything. But people in our work have started going back. I think they're kind of easing it in. I would expect sometime soon to be back uh, but N- Nicola is in a similar position to you Clive where she might never go back uh, or at least you know years because she can do her work from home but it's a bit frustrating for her cooped mm-hmm. up yeah for definite we'll see we'll see what happens anyway right let's get this uh, let's get this show on the road and let's get started with let's go to Michael Johnson in Eagles Cliff there it is. There it is. Expect no less. Um, I'm, well, I'm not going to talk about anything innovative. I'm just going to talk about albums, as is as is normal. Um, so I've been listening to quite a few new albums. There's been a lot. I've talked about before how how strong a year this has been, and they just they just keep coming. Uh, so I'm going to talk about four in total in brief. Um, I'm sure I'll be talking about some of them in more depth later on because they're that good. So, um, first of all, let's start with um, the new Lady Gaga album, uh, Chromatica. I've, there's been so much outstanding pop music so far this year that I've started calling it 2020, the year pop went pop. Um, and this is another instalment in that. Um, Gaga sort of... <clears throat> I mean, she, she used to make... Obviously, she made her name making outrageous, over-the-top pop bangers, essentially. Uh, big, unashamed dance pop. Uh, and then she retreated from that a little bit. Um, her last studio album, Joanne, was um, more of a rootsy sort of uh, direction. Um, I think some some people probably preferred it to the earlier stuff, but I certainly didn't. And uh, she fell away a little bit commercially from the previous domination she'd had. Um, then there was obviously um, the, star, the work on A Star is Born, but now she is uh she's fully back to the previous uh the previous farm um the uh you know the unabashed chart music uh that's for me has really been the strength that's been been her uh, what she's been best at and uh, this is this is well there's been a few contenders for this title but this is um <clears throat> another one of those pop albums that uh when she um when she created it, she would have had no idea that it was the it was an album that the world needs right now. Uh, pop album for the missing summer of 2020. And um, there's nothing complicated about it. Nothing particularly clever. It's just smash after smash. 13 of them in total. Uh, as I say, it would have seemed like an artistic retreat, I think. <clears throat> and I think some people have seen it that way, but 
it's it's just because it just it just works and it plays to all of our strengths. It's very enjoyable, and as a long time fan, plenty for me here to enjoy. So I've been listening to this quite a lot. Um, I know there's other great pop albums from this year that I have well, that have been received as great that I still haven't heard. Uh, Clive recommended me the uh, Dua Lipa album Future Nostalgia. Still need to hear that. So that's that's uh, that's one album. Uh, I've also been listening to uh, Color Theory, the new Soccer Mommy album. Um, she is, I mean, she's part of. I think I've mentioned this before. A sort of emerging vanguard of uh, young women with guitars, chiefly out of the US, but also in the UK a little bit as well. Um, have revived 90s guitar music, indie music, and, and otherwise. Uh, obviously, guitar music took up a lot of the pop sphere in the 90s as well. Um, the follow-up to 2018's Clean. Uh, this is a very enjoyable album as well. Um, there are times listen, listening to it where I'm shocked that I'm not listening to a new album from another act that fits into the uh, fits into the, the sort of movement that I just mentioned, Snail Mill. Uh, strikingly similar in terms of vocal intonation and guitar lines at times. Uh, Yellow is the Colour of Her Eyes is the album's real centre of gravity, uh, an epic track in the middle of the album with a be- beautiful crystalline guitar lines, especially on its coda, which, as I said, really reminded me of Snail Mail again. Very excited to see when Snail Mail will have a, a second album out after Lush, which was a superb debut. But yeah, the, the, not not a lot complicated to say about this one either. But um, another great, very solid, highly enjoyable album. Probably a little bit less consistent than some of the records I'm talking about. Other records I'm talking about here uh, across its ten tracks. But uh, when it hits highs, it's uh, it's very good. So another one worth checking out. Uh, then coming on to two albums that are outstanding, really a cut above. Uh, the first of which is Punisher by Phoebe Bridges. The American artist. First album I've heard by her. Um, and this is, I mean, it's it's been described as emo folk. I think it does have a very sort of, even though it's, um, it's spare and often acoustic uh, with some flurries of brass throughout, especially at the album's end, which are really quite beautiful. It's, uh, I think it's, it very evocative of of ninety uh, sorry noughties of noughties emo but in a different formation. So I think I can understand I can understand that categorization of it. Uh, can't emphasize enough how excellent the lyrics are. They're one of the most striking uh, and notable things about the album for sure. Uh, some of them really hit hit different. There's no, numerous ones of these that I just thought, wow, what a lyric. Uh, it's a very sad album. Uh, Bridges seems very alienated throughout it, um, and I've, I'm not been surprised on Twitter to see a lot of people making a lot of comparisons to um, to certain extra extraterrestrial sort of themes. Someone said the album sounded like a sad UFO, uh, but they, they meant it as a compliment. But I thought that was that was quite quite fitting of what the album's like. I need to explore it more, and as I say, I think it's one of those ones that I'll be talking about more. But it's um, it's a really gorgeous album, um, and it's there's a lot of emotion packed into it, uh, a lot of interesting writing, um, very rich, and a lot to explore. Uh, this well, this might be the best of the albums I'm talking about here. But the problem is that the final one I'm going to talk about is a very strong contender for that mantle. 
It's the new Haim album, Women in Music Part 3. Uh, again, I haven't heard any previous Haim records, which feels like a misstep. Seems like a band I should have listened to, especially now that I've heard this. This album is so strong throughout that it's hard to imagine that... I know Haim's debut was very well, well received, but the second one wasn't quite as well received. It's hard to imagine when you listen to this album that they would ever write a song that wasn't uh, highly interesting and enjoyable. Uh, because this is 16 tracks of pure gold, essentially. Uh, they aren't, again, they're not, they're absolutely not innovations or, re or even reinventions in any way. They are straight up pop and rock songs uh, that chiefly take their influence from the 70s. High, there's a highly clear Fleetwood Mac vibe uh, throughout the album. But there's also, there's also some 90s R&B styles in there as well. Uh, the guitar sounds luscious throughout the album, and there's a lot of really earwormy riffs that won't leave your head for days. Same with little vocal sections. Um, it was the tr it, the album is essentially thirteen tracks long, but then features three tracks that were already out there since last year. Uh, the most notable of which is <clears throat> "Summer Girl," which was one of the very best tracks of last year, and is how I first ended up listening to Haim and anticipating this album uh, when it came came out last summer. It's, I mean, it might be the best track on the album still, but that's not a knock on the rest of the record because it is that strong. Uh, I've been listening to it repeatedly. I'm sure I'm going to be continuing to do so. And, um, yeah, it seems to me I'll be going back and listening to the rest of their stuff because it seems like it's been a huge oversight. This album's popped out as one of the finest of the year. <clears throat> and uh, I was able to pick up a signed copy for the same price as a normal CD as well, which was nice. Um, there's a lot of crossover with Vampire Weekend. Daniel Heim worked a lot on Father of the Bride, the last Vampire Weekend um, record. There's a Rostam Batmanglish, former Vampire Weekend member, is all over this album in terms of writing credits and production credits. And then there's the producer, Daniel Heim's partner, Ariel Rechate. I'm not sure exactly how to um, pronounce his name. But he um, also notable is the fact that Summer Girl was written about his um, about him, him having cancer, uh, which I believe he's now uh, recovered from. <clears throat> so there's a lot of uh, there's a, there are moments on the album where you think, well, that, that sounds like Vampire Weekend. But while I thought Father Father of the Bride was actually Vampire Weekend's strongest album so far, I think they've got better with every album, which might be an uh, which might be an unpopular opinion to some people. And even more surprising given that Ross Stam had just left the, had left the band by this point uh, and was often considered you know, a, a creative driving force of the band. But I still thought, still thought that the uh, Father of the Bride was their strongest album. It really opened up the American playbook and added to it. Um, but I still think this record is better. Um, I think this is, uh, this is better than the Vampire Weekend album, even though I've only been living with it for a week. <clears throat> it's an uh, incredibly strong collection of songs. Uh, it's just the consistency of it. It's extremely high. Uh, so like, this is another record that I'm, you're going to hear me talking about again this year, I'm sure. Oh, very exciting. Um, I have a few things to talk about. First of all, love that Vampire Weekend album that you mentioned, so that's making me want to check this one out for definite. Mm -hmm. um, the Phoebe Bridges album I've been listening to loads as well. Really, really like it and agree with what you're saying. Again, I've not... <sighs> compile my thoughts on it yet but yeah it's 
such a emotional and it is i love the idea of it being a sad ufo <laughs> no, it's, good, <laughs> it's a pretty it? great description of it because it um it is quite futuristic in how clean it sounds um, mm-hmm. yeah it's got a sheen almost. to it yeah not in a yeah, bad way definite. i should mention actually i forgot to mention pun the title punisher i saw an inter- interview with phoebe in the, in the new statesman where she explained that <clears throat> she said um it's someone at a party who's uh, boring you to death, apparently, with uh, with some subject that you don't really want to hear about, but you're just having to having to listen to. So I feel like I'm going to be using that term. And what I really found refreshing about her use of it was that she said she realised that she'd been that person in her life before. Uh, so <laughs> I think we all We've... know one, and if if you don't, it's you. What what I I find interesting about that is actually, um, you might remember last week I was talking about uh, energy vampires from what we talk, uh, what we do in the shadows. Yeah, yeah, this seems to have been, um, you know, there's multiple terminologies for something that we've we've all known existed for a long time. I'm not sure what what's better there. I'll have to think that one over. Um, I, I, should, also- I should just say, a str- I was just going to add to that. A strong focus of the um, of the interview I read was um, some of the, um, the allegations of um, basically misconduct uh, against men, which um, obviously, unfortunately, Phoebe Bridges has had to be had to be part of. I say unfortunately because obviously we do, you don't want it to happen. You don't want it to have to happen at all. But it's good that we, it is now happening. Less so in the music industry than the movie industry, perhaps. Uh, but I think some some of that social focus is encapsulated by the title, and there is, even if it's metaphorical, I think that's what a lot of the writing on this album is about. It's about uh, social relationships, basically. So yeah, just wanted to yeah. add that. I haven't listened to Phoebe Bridges, uh, although I was already planning to, uh, but I have listened to that Haim album uh, only yesterday. I've only given it one listen, so I've got no in depth thoughts. But I thought it was kind of a pure kind of poppy rock um it felt like a summer album as well um yeah i really enjoyed it they're always considered i think they've always been considered to have a summery sound i think that is um that is applicable here it does sound summery like i said sounds like 70s music you know driving around california um which is exactly what it sounds like uh but at the same time i think it's tinged with a certain pain and sadness that runs throughout it um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, um, you know, the title of Women in Music, tying it to the Phoebe Bridges thing I just mentioned a little bit, um, it probably evokes that somewhat. But I also think it's empowering, so it counterbalances it in that way. Yeah. Also, um, I should add that um, it's actually been a mega seller as well. Um, it's number one in the UK for albums. That's how I even heard that they were they'd released an album i think i'd heard you praising them before and i'd heard uh, summer girl which i was a fan of yeah um, but yeah it's been it's been immensely popular as well which is you know a great thing yeah it is yeah i mean the, the, i knew they were a big name i i didn't know it would go to number 1 actually but that's great news because it's always good to see a fantastic record sat at number 1 which i think happens more than we realize actually um there's a lot of great music on the charts Obviously, there's always going to be something, some stuff I'm not so interested in. But yeah, this sort of this sort of record is the sort of record that probably could have gone to number one at any point in the last 40, 50 years. You know, that's that's the sort of it's 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 that style of music that's been the most popular and respected a lot of the time in the West in terms of serious music. And um, it's not doing anything new in that sense, but it's just it's just sort of timeless songwriting. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and also, uh, as in terms of the year that went pop, my segment is going to be three uh, pop album recommendations from this year. So Buzzing. How, how prescient. I'll, def- I'll definitely yeah. be listening to them. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, we'll do that last, because now we're going to move to Mr. Alex Wayne in Stockton. Oh, uh, we, we do... We- Oh, we did have a noise for Stockton, but it was quite laboured. It required people um, to be on a locomotive train, passenger railway. I mean, Um, I mean, I do have some matches downstairs, but I don't feel I feel like I'm wasting it (laughs) if I go and get that. (laughs) Yeah, well, what we could do instead, actually, uh, to emphasise the wideness of the high street, let's have a a distant (laughs) conversation. You, know, you see your, na- your neighbour... I was going to say an echo, but... Okay. Perfect. Across, perfect. Across the other end of the thing. Hey, Maureen! Maureen! Yes, what? Jeff! <laughs> and that's the sound of people um, having a conversation across a... What should we call it? About 200-foot high street? Is it that <laughs> wide? Not. No, probably it's not. <laughs> I'm just definitely I'm, wider than practical. I'm just thinking about now about the guy who was vox popped on Stockton High Street when lockdown commenced uh, on the local news. Uh, he was wearing a face mask, but they were asking him why he was uh, out and about. He'd gone out to get some bechamel sauce for his palmer. <laughs> essential, <laughs> essential. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> anyway, what I'm going to talk about today, as Clive said, it's something that we haven't discussed on the pod for a while, and it's not something that I often discuss. Um, it's normally left to Clive or Dave Peeling or James Flux when they take part. Um, we, I'm going to be talking about The Last of Us Part 2, uh, sequel to the absolute mega hit that was The Last of Us. Um, PlayStation 4 exclusive, uh, made by the extremely successful uh, Naughty Dog um, company uh, directed by Neil Druckmann, written by Druckmann and Haley Gross, uh, also starring Ashley Johnson, Troy Baker, and Laura Bailey. Now I'm mentioning uh, the voice actors there in particular because this is very much a narrative game, and uh, the performances, as I'll make note, are um, worth noting. Um, before I kind of start in the review, and um, I know you haven't, Michael, but had you played The Last of Us, Clive, the original? Um, I've I've played the original one, yeah. Okay. It's probably like eight years ago now, but I have, yeah. Okay. So this is very much, although you could play this having not played the original, I'm not really sure what you, in terms of its emotional punch, I'm not sure what you would get from it. Um, the first game is very much all about love and uh, very much all about unconditional love, really. Um, so uh, father figure Joel uh, escorting Ellie across the country to um, essentially try and fix a pandemic, which is pressing in these times, albeit not zombies. Um, This one, Neil Druckmann stated in interviews, is very much about hate, and um, that is reflected in the story. Um, The the game focuses around an incident that I can't say, because it will spoil um, the rest of the game. Uh, But suffice to say, it sends Ellie on a vengeful mission. Um, So across country into mainly around Seattle, uh, which is a ruined city split between two warring factions, the WLF, who were a militia, and a cult-like group called the Seraphites, who are religious fundamentalists. Um, The the game itself is, from a gameplay perspective, is not a huge amount different to the first game. 
Uh, it still focuses on a linear environment that you have to go through, either sneaking past enemies or sneaking and killing them, or, you know, you can choose to engage in a running-gunning situation. Um, the game changes a little bit in the sense that the areas are wider, although it's still a linear path you have to go down. There, there is a lot more to explore and a lot more routes you can take. And it sounds like it's going to be an absurdly small change, but... Um, the, the ability to crawl on your stomach it changes things quite significantly because you can hide in areas uh, such as long grass. Um, th they've also added dogs into the game as well. Um, so dogs can um, pick up on your scent and follow you so you can no longer just remain idle in hiding places. Hand-to-hand um, -hand combat is definitely more intense than the first game. Uh, the ability to dodge attacks makes it more of a skill-based uh, action rather than just hammering the square button. And there are two new different types of uh, infected, one of which, called the Stalkers, uh, are extremely creepy and can't be picked up in listen mode. So the first game and this game uh, allows you to uh, basically see people on, on in a kind of radar-like situation by the noise they make. Uh, but the Stalkers make no noise while moving. Um I love this game. Um, it's been quite polarising with fans, or at least it appears to be when you look on things, places like Metacritic. It's been critically pretty much well acclaimed with a few notable um, people dividing opinion critically, but generally it's been taken well. Um, this is not an easy game to play, and by that I don't mean it's not uh, it's you know literally difficult. I mean it's it's a game that at times will make you feel extremely complicit in the extreme violence. Uh, that takes part, um, often minutes after giving you a thrill uh, for similar violence. It's a study in the futility of revenge, and you've essentially got two main characters, Ellie and um, the main kind of antagonist, if you like, Abby, uh, both of whom you play, uh, holding on to their hate, essentially, and uh, allowing it to destroy not their own, not just their own lives, but the lives of the people around them. Uh, I won't go into any specifics, obviously. Um the the storytelling is very bold and inventive. I mean, the first game um, is in some ways thrown out the window in terms of the tone, um, and this has upset quite a few of the fans, although a lot of the fans seem to have a problem more with the fact that Ellie is gay and that there is a transgender character in this, which unfortunately says a lot about um, what I would call the kind of basement wanker culture. If it's who I'm thinking of, she's apparently not transgender. But I don't know if that's if it's the one I'm thinking of. But no, it's maybe. not who it's not who you're thinking. Oh, okay. Of. There is there is a a, a a very specifically transgender character. Hmm. Um, the the other character who's the main focus of this, Abby, um, is is a bit of a hate figure, and that that is somewhat deliberate from the game. But the criticism I've seen online seems to focus more on a body type, which is uh, muscular and not uh, stereotypically feminine. Um, what kind of struck me was that it really was a much more realistic body type for somebody who's going to be involved in this much action. This is how Lara Croft, for example, would really have to look in order to do the things she does. Um, and fr frankly, it struck me as quite misogynistic. Um, the The game draws a lot upon a very classic horror cinema. Um, I mean... Whether I'm imagining this or not, um, I, I saw references to The Wicker Man and you know similar Wicker Man-inspired films like Apostle. Um, certainly plenty of Wes Craven in terms of the complicity you have with the violence and 
revenge thrillers. Uh, and I've noticed some people online talk about I Spit on Your Grave, but for me, it reminded me somewhat of Old Boy as well, um, which if you've seen, will you'll understand. Um, it's visually stunning, probably the best looking game I've ever seen. Uh, almost literally breathtaking at times. Um, it's not one of those games that benefits you to just run through uh, the scenery. Sometimes you're just going to have to look and admire. I let myself die a few times just so I could take in the complexity of the uh, the visuals. Um, one thing I do have to mention, um, and I think you'll know more about this than me, Clive, is that um, this game seems to have made news, unfortunately, for the workplace environment, the what's known as the crunch, uh, which unfortunately also affected another game, which I was a big fan of, Red Dead Redemption, uh, where Naughty Dog have been working people to the bone, really. Uh, to get this out on time, um, it's unfortunate, and and it it does sour things. There's no doubt about it. Um, I don't know how much of these practices would go on in things like uh, movies, and um, probably less so in music, obviously. Uh, but it it is unfortunate. If I have criticisms of the game, uh, aside from obviously the workplace practices, I would say that the gameplay, although it has evolved. Is definitely to quote Alan Partridge, evolution, not revolution. Um, <laughs> the improvements, you know, are good, but it's pretty much still the same gameplay. Now, that's not necessarily a problem because you don't you don't really want the game to totally reinvent itself if it's a sequel. But I could have done with a bit more variety. Um, the the narrative, while I've, you know I've praised it for its inventiveness and its boldness. Uh, and, and certainly how immersive it is. Um, it often has some of the characters make decisions that are very questionable, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing because people, characters, you know, do act out bizarrely at times, but there's one or two times where even small changes, which wouldn't have necessarily changed the plotting, uh, but would have improved the overall experience. Uh, but overall, I have to say, while this doesn't have maybe the instant classic status of the original, and like I said, there are noticeable faults, some of which will affect some players more than others, it's an extremely inventive, uh, immersive, and genuinely stunning game that will often leave you feeling a bit sick, but in a good way, um, like kind of the best horror fiction or horror movies. Uh, and it certainly can't be forgotten. Um, yeah, o- overall, I'm m- massively positive on it. Cool. Um, yeah, I've not got around to playing this because I've not really been playing any games other than NBA 2K20. I play <laughs> mm. a game of that a day, maybe. Um, I haven't really got into any bigger games, even though I do now have my, my PlayStation here and everything. Um, I mean, it's similar to. I've got a similar. You've meant you've you've brought the issues I've got with it, which is the, the workplace ones. Um, I still haven't played Red Dead, and I, I, at the time I was playing loads of games, and didn't play it purely because it, it, um, Rockstar pissed me off a bit with the way they were treating people, and you know it was twenty whenever it came out, eighteen, and I thought we'd moved on a little bit. But um, and it's a bit sad to see that annoyed. It's particularly sad because I thought when they delayed it, I thought, oh, they're actually you know setting the tone here being like we're putting our workers a uh, well-being above hitting this deadline mm-hmm. um and we're delaying it to allow them but apparently the delay just led to the crunch that had been up to the delay just carried on for the next <laughs> six months <laughs> so if anything it worsened the uh, conditions in the studio which sound sounded pretty dodgy anyway you know they paid overtime and all that stuff but um 
that's one thing. I think it's if you build a the stuff I hate to hear is when you build the culture of everyone staying till eleven o'clock and the person who doesn't want to stay till eleven o'clock feels bad because they're everyone else is staying and they're made to look lazy. And I think that's just dangerous to be honest. Um and it annoys me that that still happens and I can see why it happens and I think it's you're quite right it might happen in film and stuff I don't know as much um I think in music the difference is that there's probably are artists that do that but that's their own choice like if I make an album and decide I'm gonna do 24 hour days because I want to get it out to this time that's my choice and it's my name that's on it at the end that's fine Naughty Dog it's like 200 people who are going to have differing amounts of care as to the project. And if anything, <laughs> if anything, when obviously <clears throat> The Last of Us is, is always mentioned as an example of this thing that's continued to bubble under really for years now of video games as art, isn't it? But this is actually an interesting example of where it becomes difficult to compare it to other art forms because if you're defining everyone who's involved in, in it as an artist, then you wouldn't, even though... Even though it would be hypocritical to think that what goes on in Hollywood, for example, is is some sort of utopia, as we've seen, that isn't the case. But it would be it it makes it if you're imagining people as artists, it doesn't really work, does it? If you're then seeing that they're being forced to do things, you know, like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, suppose it's probably partly because there isn't as much of a. I think in the movie industry, at least, there's it's still not good enough. But there's a bit more of an interest in like if you're a big name cinema photographer yeah. you've got a certain level of status and you probably no one's gonna go oh you need to work this amount of hours yeah it's like okay well it's this cinematographer i'm not gonna piss him off mm-hmm. whereas in in games it's like it's naughty dog that maybe the director's name and then yeah bugger all else gets mentioned yeah it's different um, yeah. it's a very different environment so you can't say that diddly guy drawing the stuff 11 hours a day is doing it for the art because he's getting no recognition for it really he might be doing it for that but <laughs> I bet there's plenty of them who are just like doing it as a job yeah um, and they like to be involved in a big project but they don't have as much of the creative force on the project they're essentially getting told what to do but I don't know I just think it's different too because a lot of people always throw out the argument that it's exactly the same as sort of musician doing a thing and I'm like no I think it's completely different yeah I, I don't mean this I don't mean this as a defence, but I would imagine, particularly on animated films uh, and certainly on special effects-laden blockbusters like the Marvel films, I, I would imagine you probably do have a it maybe not as bad, but I a similar the, culture. I think the difference is, and I don't know, I don't know enough about this. Is the problem with video games is it's so like. Um, is the different like if you're making a special effect you're making the special effect on the screen that's what you're seeing the video game is such like if you walk this way everything's got to change um and if you you know it's way easier for the bit to be some sort of bug that you then have to spend god knows how many hours sorting out and yeah. like it opening up into just a whole load of shit that i guess probably happens less with i imagine it's easier to predict how long special yeah. effects and things are going to yeah. take well, would like be I my said, take on it but it doesn't excuse it um no, I mean, no, and I still want to. I yeah. still want to play it. I just think it's a bit. It would be nice if one of these big somebody like Naughty Dog took up the mantle and set an example because they don't. You know, the game the game's going to sell shit tons anyway. They could easily have gone on for longer. Um, they can claim that they couldn't have afforded to, but that's in my opinion bollocks. I'm just, yeah, <laughs> and and if they can't, then that doesn't make it right. Then they need to go. Okay, well, we're going to lower the scope or we're going to do something else. But um, I don't think it's feasible to make something or just make it less perfect or i don't know but drop something somewhere because i don't think it's necessarily sustainable to keep going like this and the more people do it the more it's going to become the norm and people will be like oh i'm not buying that it's not a 50 hour game or whatever or everything's not been thought out to the last ridiculous detail 
But um, anyway, I want to play it because I'm excited yeah. about the story. And I've I mean, heard... Unfortunately, I've had one part of it spoiled, which is annoying, but... <laughs> Is it is it is it an extremely large part of it? it I think it is an extremely large part. Um, yeah, I mean, doing that review was difficult. I mean, I, I probably have put, said some minor spoilers there, but I've tried not. I've tried to avoid the kind of big plot points because, and th- there are about three of them in particular that um, you know pretty much changed the game. Um, hmm. And however it was it was achieved, I have to say it is a work of art. And like I said, I don't think it's without its faults and there's definitely some legitimate criticism out there uh, but it strikes me as a lot of the criticism particularly in sites like metacritic for example um is based around what um this group basically perceives as social justice warrior um gaming <laughs> ju- just Which because unfortunately is that kind of person is unfortunately quite rife in the video game scene and that's oh, part yeah. of the reason I stopped uh, it just ugh, seems particularly rife in that area in an annoying way where I'm just like there's a lot of people are just like get, keep politics out of my games I play them just to, it's like fuck off yeah. well as as someone who is um, is pretty much an outsider to this I mean I have a pass, passing interest in seeing which sort of games um, you know have this sort of status that this clearly does uh, but other than that, I'm not really, in, I'm not particularly interested in the form, to be honest. I'm not invested in it. But I have to say, it's it's sad to see that the as as someone on the outside in that sense, uh, the media coverage of this has really been defined. Yeah, I mean, it's fine that it's been defined by by a, div, a bit of a divided reception, but also by abuse of the creators of it, and um, yeah, some of that, some of that. Um, Abuse that you um, that you co- replied to on uh, Twitter yesterday, Alex, was just yeah. was, was vile stuff. And well, yeah, it's just like it just makes me question why we continue to allow anonymity on social media. Although I know that the reason is money, obviously. Um, I mean, but, yeah that 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 particular example, it was the voice actress Laura Bailey who plays Abby, who for a lot of the game at least is a hate figure. And what I don't get is, even if you didn't like the character Abby, why are you sending a death threat to an actress? She's just playing a part. Well, that makes even less sense. I assumed it was someone involved in creating the game, so that's that's just even more ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's absurd. And I, I mean, for example, on Metacritic, you look at the critical scores, it pretty much gets like, you know, four or five stars, nines and tens out of tens. I mean, there are a few more negative reviews, but generally speaking, that's what he's getting. But then you look at the the, meta, the user score, and it's much lower. Um, apparently, within about an hour of it launching, um, it had been bombed by negative reviews by people who couldn't have played the game, yeah. but had just heard about plot points and had um, decided it wasn't for them. Um, these people are very, very boring, uninventive people who don't like to be challenged. Uh, they don't like anything to change. They think they know what they like, but they don't really. It's the same kind of crowd who attack the Star Wars franchise um, for The Last Jedi. And frankly, it feels like this crowd is connected to, um, you know, kind of the rise of alt-right in general. Um, it's basically people people not wanting anything to change, despite the fact that things need to change. And... Um, you know, it's fueled by Mountain Dew and Doritos, but you know, it's. <laughs> well, I, th- I think these people. I think um, I understand those points, but I think we hear I he- we hear a bit too much of that because I think at root these people are sad, lonely, frustrated people. Um, 
And if I can speak, if I can speak personally, I can relate to that. But why they make such bafflingly bad choices in terms of what they think the root causes of their problems are, I wouldn't like to say. Um, is it too simple to blame a lack of education? Perhaps, but um, yeah, it's 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 a shame more than anything. I think. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, like like I said, to I be honest, th- if this game should be being criticised, it should be for the workplace practice. It shouldn't be because it includes a gay character, a transgender character. Oh, no, of course not. That's ridiculous. Uh, it, it's all, just the idea that people seem to think they it needs to fit their story. It's like, well, somebody created the story. Somebody wrote the story. Like if someone writes a book, you think, oh, well, it didn't go how fucking I wanted it to. Yeah, in that, uh, yeah, in that <laughs> it's, sense. It's, it's up to the person writing the book. In that sense, it's the age-old <laughs> thing of mistakenly thinking that artists owe you something. I mean, yeah. sometimes yeah, exactly. you get you might grow an, a strong enough attachment to an artist to think that, but it'll still never be the case, you know. Yeah, I read something online, and, and t- to be fair, this criticism wasn't homophobic or transphobic. It was just saying how, oh, that's not what Ellie would do. You don't know. Just because you've yeah. seen her in one game, that's not your character. Fair it, enough, you don't have to like it, but don't tell us that isn't what she did. It's like yeah. you say, people, like you said earlier, people people make very surprising choices in real life and behave in ways that you didn't expect them to. It's How can you define that, really? I mean... Uh, parts in this game, again, this isn't a spoiler, but uh, parts in this game, you'll be playing as Ellie and you will not like her. Um, she is mm. almost as monstrous as the people she's chasing at times. And I think that complicity and the fact that you'll be attacking somebody and you, that you don't want to attack, but you're forced to by the story, is perhaps dangerous ground. But I, I thought it was quite a nice, well, not nice, uh, quite a an interesting decision and kind of makes gamers confront the fact that, you know, they are mass murderers, albeit in virtual form. It is quite, it's quite, when I heard about the, the some of the stuff in the, in the, that you've mentioned a bit of it there, um, like doing the stuff that you wouldn't want to do, it's quite interesting because that's not necessarily something that's been in games because you generally have control. So you kind of, you kind of control the person, you kind of control the main character in a way that you'd want to control them, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Particularly in, like, say, an open world game, you act kind of how you'd want to act, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, so it's definitely quite interesting that it's gone down the route of, it's filling a story and it's making you do stuff that you wouldn't necessarily choose to do. And it's one thing watching, like, a fit that happening on a film, but you're not really doing it, so you're watching it more as someone else doing it. Whereas in a game, you have more of you're you're more kind of a part of that in a way, and I think that's definitely a really interesting thing that they've done. Exactly, yeah. Um, that'd be interesting to play the game for. Which is which is why, by the way, that the workplace practice is such a shame because although it's not a perfect game, despite of its inventive choices, it should be getting um, it should be praised, you know, for the story making decisions it makes. But um, yeah, not not perfect, and, and I'm not going to give it a score. I don't do scores, but. Um, Certainly, um, regardless of what score I would have given it, it's got to be one of those games I will never forget. Um, you know, it's it's an experience, if nothing else. Yeah, I'm excited to play it. How, how long is it? Uh, like... uh, about about 30 hours it took me. Oh, okay, so it's pretty long for yeah. that type of game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a lot longer than the first one. I think the first one was maybe 15, 20 hours. Mm. Uh, this is considerably longer. Cool, cool. Um, which means I think we're on to me. Um, I was just going to talk about, like I said, uh, the year pop went pop, as Michael put it. Um, three albums, one of which um, Michael's already mentioned but didn't talk about. So um, I'm going to start with 
Charlie XCX with um, How I'm Feeling Now, which is uh, Charlie XCX's fourth album. And the first one I've heard, I know uh, Michael was a fan of her previous album. Um, I've not heard it yet, but I'm definitely going to. Which is interesting because it was written over a six-week span um, of lockdown. In I think it started in April, somewhere near the start of April. Um, and using kind of whatever tools she had at her fingertips, obviously. And in collaboration with fans who apparently sent feedback and demos and stuff, which I don't know how much of that affected you know i've not read anything in terms of oh this part of the song was changed because someone said this um but i thought that was quite an interesting thing something you certainly don't hear a lot about in well in art in general i guess <laughs> it's not generally a collaborative process with art with um with fans um which i thought was an interesting thing it's i really like this album it's an album that's kind of both huge in like the production of it's very massive sounding and it's quite intimate in terms of the lyrical content because it's very quite personal and immediate with it being sort of about essentially lockdown um, and just her personal feelings. Um, it's accessible. It's, I'd say it's really accessible, in fact. It's very poppy. I think most people are going to like it. Uh, but it's also, under the surface of that, really inventive. I think often if things... There's a, a cliche, if something's really accessible, then it's probably not push, push boundaries too much. But I think this does, but in a sort of... You know, reins it back a little bit in uh, making sure that the songs are still accessible. It's got sort of the the style of it has been described as bubble bu- bubble gum bass or hyper pop, <laughs> which uh, I quite like both those. I could kind of, even though I don't know anything about what those genres mean, I can sort of see how they fit in some weird way. Um, I would describe it as quite glitchy, uh, like a very sort of pop bangers that have glitch, a bit of a glitchy edge is how I'd describe it. Um, it's very electronic. It's like I say, everything does sound massive. It's full of big melodies. Um, it's really infectious. A lot of the songs, and yeah, also never really gets tiring. Whereas I think songs, if it's you know albums with back-to-back bangers, can sometimes get a bit exhausting. Um, this isn't the case here, and yeah, this is an album I definitely recommend people check out. And the the songs I particularly recommend. I really, really love the song "Claws," which is the simplest song ever, <laughs> but also, and it's like two hours, two minutes. Two minutes, 20 seconds long. Uh, yeah, but it's just perfect. Love it. It's great in its simplicity. And it's the one that I always end up repeating loads of times. Detonate, great too. Anthems, C2.0 and Forever are my favourites of the album. And yeah, I definitely recommend people check it out. And I'll be listening to her other albums too. Um, the second one, also by an English uh, singer, is by is the one that Michael mentioned, who is, I believe, pronounced... I'm glad that you pronounced it, Michael, because I was sh- not sure. Dua Lipa, I believe, because I tried to look it up. And uh, all I could find was people laughing at people pronouncing it wrong. <coughs> so I figured it wasn't Dua Lipa. Definitely not Dua... L- I don't know. Somebody said Looper. I was like, I don't know where you got that from. <laughs> sounds like another Sigur Ross scenario. <laughs> <laughs> Although I thought this was a lot easier, to be honest. But Yeah, that was what I had in my head. Yeah. And then I thought, I'd better check. Um, and it turned out to be probably right, so... So yes, a second uh, English singer, that's Charlie XCX is English too. Uh, she recruited a whole load of producers to create a kind of a, that's the difference here, create a kind of nostalgic pop and disco record with influences from dance, pop and electronic music um, from years gone by. The different uh, difference here, this feels like more of a, a collaborative effort with lots of different producers, whereas Charlie XCX probably more led by her, um, although in collaboration with fans, as I've mentioned. Um, some of the influences I can hear in particular on this album are like Madonna, Jamiroquai, I'd say, Blondie, uh, disco classics like um, Hadaway's What Is Love, <laughs> classic tune, um, weird, weird, things like weird that. Weird fact about that song, uh, What Is Love, <laughs> uh, always comes on when I'm in a taxi. What? <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> that is weird because have you seen that um that Saturday Night Live clip where they're all in the car? No, I don't think so. That's amazing. Well, there's a it's like Jim Carrey, Will Ferrell, like, and two other comedians i can't remember who but it's just that song and they're just doing this head bopping to it for like three minutes oh, and that's, that's the whole clip that's from night at the roxbury um, is it okay. or, or, or maybe night at the roxbury came after that oh yeah to film again with will ferrell it's pretty funny actually I, oh is it from a film i thought it was from like a, a, a sketch okay i haven't seen no, it might it might have been from both by the way i'm not sure but i haven't seen that no, film but i know the soundtrack is just pure euro dance isn't it so yeah so that makes <laughs> sense yeah but yeah that's my taxi song so yeah that makes me laugh because it doesn't it makes me think of cars because of that <laughs> being in a car <laughs> you should start bopping your head every time it comes up maybe yeah yeah um anyway so future nostalgia by dua lipa the uh, 2020 release as the title suggests it's a very current take on a uh, nostalgic genres such as disco funk synth pop etc etc um and very much channeling those artists that I've mentioned. She focuses very much on catchy songs about, um, as in her words, dancing and having fun and being free and in love, um, while also making sure that the whole thing has a really cohesive feel, despite the fact there's tons of producers working on it. Um, it does feel very cohesive, and there's quite a lot of styles uh, sort of suggested in, in the album, and a lot of the songs are in quite different styles, but there's a certain sheen to it, Something I'd equate maybe to something like the 1975 where that makes it sound cohesive, um, which is really good. It's kind of... The sound palette, palette is varied enough to keep it interesting, but it never makes it feel like, whoa, what's going on here? You kind of have to dig a little bit beneath the surface to go, oh, okay, this one's influenced by something completely different to the last song. But like I say, that sort of surface sheen is kind of over the whole album and makes the whole thing seem very cohesive. The whole thing sounds um, cataclysmic, which I think is a word that you use, Michael. I will have done. <laughs> and one one that I like. Um, and it's just packed with bangers. It's 37 minutes of duration. And yeah, it's, it's great. You check it out. It's pretty much start to end bangers. And not Miles. Um, you mentioned Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. Doesn't... Uh, it has that kind of feel to it, sort of early Lady Gaga, like you say, sort of larger-than-life pop songs. Um, yeah. Definitely could see and that was my first thing actually when i was listening to it that's kind of what it reminded me of so i think if you're a fan of early lady gaga you'll like this and the song picks for this one i'd go with don't start now cool physical love again and boys will be boys i think don't start now was the single uh, the first single of the album yeah but yeah another great album to that i'd recommend people check out and finally this one's a lesser known and again i don't really know how to pronounce it it's spelled b-o-n-i and then face and I've been pronouncing it bony face, which sounds a bit odd. I think it might be bony farce. I don't know. I think it might be a French word. No idea. That would make sense, though, because the uh, <laughs> the lead singer is a guy called Mika Visa, F-I-S-S-E-R, Visa, maybe, uh, who's Canadian. Um, don't know whether he's French-Canadian or not. I imagine he's not because he sings in uh, English. I think it's uh, Boniface, although I'm not sure. Okay, that would make sense. Yeah. It's. I feel like it's definitely not what I thought it was. <laughs> Bony face is good though. <laughs> <laughs> it's what it looks like. Yeah. Um, and reminds me of the time when in school I spent until I was about sixteen calling recipe a receipt. Receipt. Somebody. Wow. Yeah. Somebody was like, "That's not how you say that." I was like, oh, "I'm glad you bloody said that because no one has ever corrected me." And I've spent fifteen years feeling like a. Tit. Well, yeah, this is well, one of my favourites is when people say something is the epitome of something uh, rather than epitome. <laughs> I love that one. That's basically the similar word structure to a recipe. 
Mm. No, I did it with um, so Elle's sister's husband. I did something with a word there, and he was like, "I always like it when that happens because it means that someone's learned learned that word reading." Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually it's a good point. Yeah, yeah. You don't. Yeah, I don't judge people for it because um, I've done it myself with plenty of words. So, so yeah, it's always fun. Um, so yeah, this is like I say, a debut album by the Canadian Mika, or at least he's the band leader, Visa. I'm gonna Visa. It's oh, a very hard name to pronounce. Um, he himself has described this about growing up, moving on, and everything that happens in between. It's very much I'd describe it as a coming of age album. It's full of kind of first loves, breakups, parties, trying to figure out who you are. The ge- the lyrics are generally pretty simple and relatable. You you can kind of imagine them writing them at that point in his life. I think he's only I think he's only twenty twenty one when he wrote this album. So not certainly not far removed from uh, what he's writing about. Um, and that's, to me, not a slight on them at all. I think it's a big reason why the album is so sing-alongable in a way that reminds me of The Killer's Hot Fuss uh, that came out while we were at uni, um, or just before. It was certainly massive while we were at uni. Um, it's full of, musically, it's full of really thick synth lines which have the kind of attitude of distorted guitars. Almost feels a bit like a distorted guitar album, but with synth pop <laughs> in a weird way. That, that does sound um, weird, yeah. Uh, which is interesting, and I'd certainly recommend giving it a listen. The songs that you can imagine kind of university students standing arm in arm in the middle of the dance floor, eight one pine pints down, uh, singing their lungs out, staring at the lights in the ceiling, um, a lot like The Killers. It's been getting lots of good reviews, this one, but I've not heard that much talk about it, and it's generally had reviews from the sort of less mainstream outlets. Um, so, yeah, I think people should go out and give it a listen, because I think it's really good. I think it might be one that polarises people. Some people might find it a little bit too on the, no- on the nose, maybe, if that makes sense, but um, I think it's really good and really infectious, and uh, like I say, it's the first album I've listened to for a long time that's brought back that sort of uh, hot fuss, which, which was a great album. That's uh... Hot fuss vibes. That one's flown under my radar a little bit. I'm not really sure. I'm not really familiar with that one, to be honest. Um, but the the other two, um, I've actually heard the Charlie album, although I wasn't ready to talk about it yet. Uh, it's very good. She's one of my favourite writers at the moment, so I need to listen to it more though. Um, Do a leap. The singles didn't grab me. You know, that's one of the reasons I never really listened to this, even though it's had a lot of acclaim. Um, the first album is very solid. New Rules is one of the best songs of the 2010s for sure. This seems like it's going for something much less contemporary, like you discussed, Clive, although 80s nostalgia is contemporary in its own way at the moment anyway. Uh, all, no- mm-hmm. all nostalgia is, basically. Um, hence the album title. Um, so, I'm, But I'm going to listen to this one. Um, I do want to hear it, for sure. I think you'll like it. You might find that the songs... I don't know because I didn't listen to them as singles, but you might find that, that you prefer them in the context of the album, maybe. That's yeah, sometimes exactly, happens yeah. to me. That can but, happen. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I do like physical, but it just it didn't it, what, it didn't make me think, wow, this is amazing. But I do, as I heard it, I liked it more because I, I kept hearing it everywhere. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out for sure. Cool. But, uh, yeah, that's all, that's all I've got to talk about. Has anyone else got anything else to mention? Um, well... It'll take about two minutes, but I watched the uh, the Eurovision film, uh, Eurovision, uh, oh, the story of Fire Saga, um, with Nicola, uh, Will Ferrell film. Um, he apparently he loves Eurovision, by the way, because of his Swedish wife. Um, it, it's kind of one of those films that is exactly like what it's you know you know what its its subject matter is. It's truly awful, yet somehow works as as a result. Um, <laughs> Along, along with some um, 
catchy Euro pop style tunes, particularly one by Dan Stevens. And um, I heard that there was some... um, I heard there was a Lordy parody in it. Maybe, right? but I I don't know Lordy's music well enough to. Oh, you mean Lordy's in the right? Yeah, not, yes, there not, is. Yeah, not Lord. You're confused yeah. with Lord again, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's like I've always said. I would love to hear either Lord uh, cover Lordy or or Lordy cover Lord. Um, <laughs> I reckon both results would be outstanding, to be honest. Yeah, Lordy could... featuring Lord would be great, or just yeah, the other way around. I might start for next year's Eurovision. I might start some kind of campaign online to get them both to do it for charity. Uh, <laughs> I'd sign, I want to hear. I want to hear Hard Rock Hallelujah by Lord. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, Green Light by Lordy. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's almost objectively a bad movie, but I enjoyed it all the same. Uh, <laughs> I think that's surely that's what anyone going into that film expects. That's, that's certainly <laughs> yeah. what I'd expect. I haven't seen it yet. But, oh, I don't know if I will, but I might. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it, it's fun. It, it's worth it, if you love Eurovision, you'll probably get something from it. Bizarrely, there was a BBC article the other day. I mean, it was. I think it was meant as a bit of fun. It wasn't meant to be overly critical, but it was. Uh, it was telling you that um, what was what was historically inaccurate about the film, like the fact that at the start <laughs> at the start they were drinking alcohol in Iceland pre nineteen eighty nine or whenever it was that it was legalized. And I'm like, I'm not sure why this article exists, really. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> Yeah, that is. <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, the, that... the fact that uh, the fact that the UK and uh, another country I can't remember are competing in the semi-final, which they never do, obviously. I'm, and I was just like, well, you know, it's a film about Eurovision, you know. Yeah, and not a documentary I... either. <laughs> well, I, th- I think I think the only part of that that was bizarre to me was um, the contest is hosted in Edinburgh. Which oh, meant yeah, that this the, was mentioned, yeah. Which meant that the UK must have won the year before, but yet there's a joke in it later where it says uh, the UK will get no points because everybody hates them. Um, the bit, the, art- the article comment. speculated that uh, the winning country may have refused to host it. So they, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> they thought deeply about it, to be fair to them. <laughs> yes, the, yeah, some effort had gone into this article, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, one of the main... And um, I'm totally going to... This is a spoiler as much as you can possibly spoil a movie like this. But um, one of the main characters is on Ireland's, not Ireland's, Iceland's um, Eurovision voting board. And he doesn't want them to win because they'd have to host the t- uh, the tournament, uh, which would bankrupt them, apparently. Which is actually based, based on, on real life. Yeah. yeah, on Ireland. Really didn't want to. Except I'm assuming nobody in the Irish Eurovision board attempted murder to stop it happening. <laughs> Assuming, yeah, yeah. There were a f- there were a few years in the 2010s where it was always said that Greece could definitely not afford to win. Um, yeah, I don't think they ever did in that period. So literally could not afford to win. Yeah, yeah I love it. <laughs> I've not really. I don't think I've ever watched. I've seen clips of Eurovision. I don't think I've ever watched one. Really? Um, no. There's always these listening parties, and I'm never involved. I, I knew oh, yeah. you are very much a European as well, Clive. That should be. <laughs> like, I think I think in my head when I was growing up, um, you I thought it was just that, me listening to it. Well, I, well, not you specifically, but I thought everybody in Europe took it really seriously <laughs> when I was growing up. But 
<laughs> I think I imagine they take it a similar level of seriousness to the general oh, British yeah. population. I mean, but I don't know. You'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's variances. Yeah, um, but I can't imagine the Swiss are that high up. How about you, Clive? Have you been up to anything else? Anything um, else you want to briefly talk about? No, no, not nothing I've massively talk about. I've been um, carrying on reading a lot, still listening to Tale for the Time Being, which I'm really enjoying, which I've nearly finished the audiobook. Uh, by Ruth Azeki. She reads it as well, so that's good. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I don't think there's anything else really. Exciting. I'm reading uh, Natives at the minute by Akala, who I know is um, a huge fan. Uh, of he's them. on the scene at the moment a bit because um, he speaks a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, Natives is great at the minute. I've, again, I'm about two thirds of the way through it, so I might talk about it when I've finished it, but definitely one I'd recommend on people wanting to swat up a little bit on the anti racism. Uh, well, just the British, Black British history as well. It's very, um, it's a very much written through his lens, which is what I really like about it. It's um, about his own experience, and then sort of uh, goes into political things of what, why that, why that experience might have come to be, kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's really interesting and really well written. Definitely would so would definitely recommend that. Besides that, I've just been moving a lot, so not a lot happening. And on NBA Two K Twenty, the Mexico City Aztecs, which are the team I've created. Doing really well. Uh, Kevin Durant, mainly my, fi- <laughs> my figurehead. Uh, just can't stop scoring the guy. Absolute beast. Dirt, dirty mercenary, but very talented. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's why I signed him up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did a fantasy draft, which is what I love about American sports games. My favourite thing is to do fantasy drafts. And, then, and also you can put in all the um, all-time greats into the draft as well. It's great. Uh, so you know MJ and stuff. Are they uh, are they ranked out of a hundred? Um, yeah, they are. So MJ's ninety nine. I think there's yeah. only two that are ninety nine. I think it's LeBron and MJ. Going to assume um, that's Jordan, not Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> now that would be a fantasy Moon, draft. Moonwalking all over the <laughs> Dunk. <laughs> I saw a great uh, TikTok video the other day. You know, I'm not really on TikTok, but I'm on. Um, L's sort of group of friends WhatsApp group and they're all obsessed with it so now and again they post a good one and somebody posted one of somebody doing like the you know where Michael Jackson's like I think in Billy Jean it's, there's some point where he's just making a funny noises basically yeah. um, and somebody had like was holding a hot coffee and making the funny noises in time to as if the hot coffee was too hot <laughs> uh, it's hard to explain but yeah <laughs> you know like when you're passing something from hand to hand because it's too hot Doing that while also making the Michael Jackson sound effects, and it was brilliant. Sounds it. Um, yeah. Would, re- would recommend. Um, Michael, anything else? Well, I watched, I'll just quickly mention I watched a couple of films last night. I watched uh, Mississippi Burning, which, um, uh, well, I was actually inspired to. I've had it a couple of years because I, I got it for a gift on my 30th birthday because it came out in 1988, like me. Um, and uh, I was finally. <laughs> Finally inspired to watch it, bizarrely, by watching Last Chance You, which is obviously the first two seasons of which are set in Mississippi. Um, it's a good value thriller um, based on, well, I say based on real life events, inspired by them, but ha- completely fictionalised from what I understand. Um, the one strange thing about it is that despite the subject matter of the film, it features no notable black characters whatsoever, which I'd like to believe would not be allowed to fly today, certainly in the 2010s. In Hollywood, I don't think you would have gotten away with that, which is a very good development. Um, otherwise, it was very watchable. Um, 
I, I know, I know, it got, I know, it got quite a bit of criticism for that, Michael, even at the time. Right. Yeah. I, I believe it's, it's. Um, I think it's, it's a pretty good film, but yes, I've, I've heard that criticism before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I uh, enjoyed watching that. And then I watched Scream Two. I'd never seen Scream Two. Love the first film. Uh, it's basically the same fare. It just continues in a similar vein. Um, seems to have a good reception, although I think I found it a bit wearying by the end. Um, I mean, the, the climax of the film is ridiculously heavy on the exposition, and I know you could you could um, you could obviously argue that that is satire, like much of the film is. Uh, but it was just by the end, it was just doing my head in a little bit. I think, uh, <laughs> but it was still it was still fun. It, it's basically the same film, I think, but not as striking or as innovative because it's not it's not uh, fresh like Scream was. Scream was extremely fresh when it came out, of course. Um, and also, uh, going in, I understood that it, it, it played up a lot to, um, you know, it was a satire, a parody of horror sequels, and it would play up to that. I didn't think it did as much as I was expecting. You know, there's a bit of that in the script. Uh, but yeah. I'd like to have seen it developed more. I'll probably end up watching the third one at some point because I've got them. I've got all three. Uh, I got all three because they were the, the you know it was as easy to buy all three as it was to buy one, which is the one I wanted to see. Uh, so I got all three, and I'll probably watch the third one at some point. But from what I, from what I understand, that what, that was where the the acclaim for Scream ended with the second one. So we'll see. Uh-huh. I don't think I've ever seen the first Scream, so that's I need that's, to, that's, a, that's a good film. Out. That's a gap. You should see that. Although you, as you were saying to us, you have seen Scary Movie though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have. In, uh, when did that come out? It must have been when we were like two thousand, I think. Yeah, uh, Sc- so it's probably like year eight. Scary movie is such a bizarre film in the sense that you know they saw a satire and then decided to make what, a satire of it. Yeah. I can only assume they didn't really get it. Sca- they just thought it. Scary movie is a crap film that I like. Do you know what I mean? I think it's yeah, ridiculous. No, I it's agree, a ridiculous yeah. film. Scary movie two is one of the worst films I've ever seen. However, it does also feature a couple of brilliant jokes, so that's a bit of a weird one. <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't know if I've seen that one or not, I can't remember. Hey, Michael, was watching Scream 2 a bit like Deja Vu all over again? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a line from the first film where oh, a stu- stupid blonde character... <laughs> Um, spots something that's happening again. She says it's like deja vu all over again, which I think was originally said by Babe Ruth, was it? It was, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. known for his okay. his uh, his mis his misspeaks. I think in that sense, isn't he? I think he's got loads of them. Got yeah. a whole roll call of them. <laughs> great. Wouldn't mind reading them at some point. Sounds great. Cool. Well, Excellent. Some facts at the end there. Sorry, Al. Go on. Uh, tick tock. You mentioned earlier, uh, Clive. Um, that sounds like a time of some sort, or a, I it mean does to... sound like a time of some sort. And I've just realised that I was supposed to be doing plug time in the voice of William Shatner, but I've forgotten how he talks, <laughs> and I have not done any prep. So, well, can you give me someone that I know better. Um, how about? Um, I'll really should prepare it in advance, but how about? No, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of someone who's going to be easy enough for you to do off the cuff. Um, Quite difficult in general, I suppose. What about uh, Arsene Wenger? <laughs> Arsene Wenger? I've not, I've not heard him speak radius. I don't know. I <laughs> Just be me doing a shit for Jackson. 
I mean, I've got faith in you, Clive, but I'm not sure that it, even if I gave you months to prepare, it would be much more than a shit fr- French accent. <laughs> no, I don't think it will be. Uh, um, okay, well, I guess we're going into it with a shit French accent, so apologies if anyone is French and massively offended. <laughs> um, <laughs> Plug time! <laughs> You can find us on at StickAroundCast on the Twitter. We have a lot of good stuff on there. No baguettes, but uh, plenty of good content. We talk about all our uh, all our uh, episodes and uh, articles. In fact, there is a new article. Uh, this is about 1968, I think. Uh, lots of good music. None of it French, but... Uh, Lots of good uh, music there from uh, people like Aretha Franklin and Van Morrison, I believe. Uh, who else? Some other pe- the Beatles, that band from <laughs> fucking England. <laughs> fucking shit. <laughs> shit cheese. Um, <laughs> we uh, also there is an article coming from the uh, from the, from Michael Johnson, who's also from that that shit place, but uh, he's all right. Um, I feel like I'm going slightly Scandinavian, but don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> he, uh, his power rankings of the top 50 bands, momentum-wise, at the moment. Uh, Michael, would you like to plug? Because it's coming on your website first, right? That's right. Roadstothenorth.com. I'm not doing it in a French accent. <laughs> I don't know if this is French. but uh, <laughs> I'm just putting... It's just accent. <laughs> foreign foreign accent. <laughs> um, um, you can also expect, by the way, uh, sometime in the next week or two, a listicle from me on all of ranking all of the Pixar movies because I've in my spare time watched them all in order. Love a listicle. Oh, this is great. This sounds like the kind of thing uh, Clive Fisher would do because <laughs> <laughs> he loves fucking doing things in order and then ranking them. Great. He is well excited about this. Um, this turns me on more than a well-run 442. <laughs> <laughs> With fluid football. None of this parking the bus shite. <laughs> Jose. <laughs> uh, yes, That's a good uh, effort, you, that, Clive. Good effort. You can, um, we have not finished yet, Al. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> Who is this, you can Who find is me this on. Clive? <laughs> yeah, yes. Whoever he is, he's doing a shit, shit effort. Stickaroundpodcast.com website. Uh, we Everything on there. All the articles. Uh, Clive's top five challenges of every year on there. Check it out. Uh, Stickaroundpodcast.com slash... No, fuck. Facebook.com slash Stickaroundpodcast for a regurgitator like sick feed. Bit like uh, the stuff that Jose Mourinho says, like just vomit on there. So, yeah. Uh, check it out. Eat baguettes and French cheese. That sounded <laughs> that sounded a little bit like two things to me. Sounded like none of it French. It so- yeah, well, actually, yes. It sounded like um, the French guy uh, on the interlude in Blonde by Frank Ocean talking about how his girlfriend left him because he wouldn't add her on Facebook. And okay. it sounded well, a little bit like right. him. And it also sounded like actually no, it didn't sound like it didn't. It might not have sounded like this at all, but it sounded like what I imagine. To sound like Pepe Le Pew, the Looney Tunes skunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I, he sounds like. Neither but. do I, but I imagine he sounds like that. 
I think I, I think I just went into some other accent and then I couldn't get out of it. This is my problem with accent. I can do him if I've just heard someone speaking in that accent, but not otherwise. Otherwise, it just descends into shite. Um, and also, I think I'm speaking too fast. I think you need to slow it down for French accent. But anyway, it was an accent. For, I'm going to call it foreign accent. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I just Not I just looked it up because I thought the French guy on Blonde was actually a music- musician, and it is. It's the French DJ Sebastian, apparently. So there you go. Wow. Oh, great. So I've done a good impression. It was, it was done in, as an impression of him. Why, why, why don't we just say it's Swiss Swiss French? Uh, yeah, we'll get away get with that. Away no, because then I've I'd got even less excuse to get it wrong. <laughs> Although I don't, I'm not Swiss French, so shouldn't put us all in the same box. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let's call it that. Let's say it was Swiss French. That was someone from Geneva doing it. Doing it. Um, next time I will prepare William Shatner. I said that last time, but next time I will. Um, so I guess it's time to say bye because I've got to go pack shit up and move into this place. So Enjoy. Alex Wayne has been Alex Wayne. I have. A fabulous version of him. Michael Johnson has been Michael Johnson. As ever. An equally fabulous version of Michael Johnson. Cheers. And I have been me. A six out of fab. ten version of myself. Nah, I'd say you've been fab, Clive. You've been fab. Is that an eight? That's an eight, isn't it? <laughs> At least an eight, yeah. At least an eight, okay. Although, we'll although I wouldn't give a fab an eight. I'm not a big fan of them as a nice lolly. So that's... Ah, uh, you're, <laughs> you're, you're just bloody wrong. That's really? The, next week's fab sponsorship. Fan, are you? Not well, maybe not a big fab fan. <laughs> Which ones are fab? Good. Are they the ones with like the bits on this? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I like. I prefer nice lolly to be consistent. You know, I don't. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want that confusion. But you know, what is it? So it's like chocolatey out bits, and then a then ice on the bottom, isn't it? Yeah. Oh no, that doesn't sound good. To be fair, yeah, I know what you mean. I know. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. You know, I don't take your you know food tips from Michael Johnson. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> not from now on. <laughs> What, not also, even our sponsorship slots. plan. <laughs> <laughs> our sponsorship plan with Fab is down the pan now. Yeah, oh, my bad. <laughs> so did I or calls. did I not intentionally just bomb that? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> so right, I'll get on the I'll get on the phone to feast. <laughs> nice. <laughs> A cracking bar. Uh, we'll speak to you next time about other stuff, other lockdown goods. Remember to stick around. Stick around. <laughs>